0: Check us out at heartwaychurch.com slash give. Every dollar that you give goes a really long way towards helping us do what it is that we do. Well, we love you. Really hope you enjoy the podcast. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Heartway, another beautiful Sunday that we get to gather together see each other's beautiful smiles, catch up, meet new people. I am very grateful for this community. I'm very grateful for uh, the people that I've met along the way. I'm grateful for how much we've evolved and grown over the years. It's it's really special to be surrounded by love like this. And so I definitely don't take it for granted. And if it's your first time... I hope you feel a little bit of that love I'm talking about uh, today and that you take it with you. You know, when you walk through these doors, you kind of leave all all those problems that you came in with out there. And you take a few moments here to kind of cleanse the palate, to reset, to recenter. And when you leave, you can pick up those problems again, but I don't think you'll want to. Because you've tasted and seen how good God is. And when you carry God in your heart and you carry God in your mind and you release all your troubles into his hands, the scriptures say he takes care of you. He takes care of you. You just have to be bold enough, courageous enough to be willing to say, here's my issue. Here's my problem. You take care of it. For some of us, that seems reckless. No, I have to be in control. I have to manage all of these problems. Well, how has that been working for you? (laughs) So the alternative route is, you know what? I'll do what I can do. I'll do what's in my power to do. And what isn't in my power to do, what is outside of my control, I leave into the hands of God. And then we go from there. So my message today is titled The Cultural Matrix. Anybody seen The Matrix films? So not really, well, there's this, <laughs> there's this uh, beautiful moment in the film, one of the most decisive moments, where the main character, Neo, is presented with two pills, right, the red pill or the blue pill. And Morpheus tells him, if you take the red pill, everything that you have come to know as reality will be shattered completely, and you will see the truth of how things really are. But you don't have to take this red pill. If you'd like, you can take the blue pill. And if you take this blue pill, your understanding of life will remain the way that it is. Nothing will ruffle your feathers. You just conti- continue to operate in the world as you think it to be. Well, the main character in this movie, obviously, that's why we have like four of these movies now, He took. <laughs> You know, he he took the red pill. And when he took the red pill, the red pill, he woke up. He woke up to a whole new version of reality that he didn't even know was real up to that point. And what he comes to find out is that the life that he has been living is really just a simulation. And there is an underlying, more fundamental reality under the surface that is really how things are. I bring up this metaphor, this analogy, this film because those of us who are in the pursuit of truth eventually will come to a place where we're going to have the choice between the red pill or the blue pill. Are we going to continue to follow this pursuit of truth all the way to the point where our understanding of how things are is going to completely crumble? Are we courageous enough to go that far? Are we willing to go that far, or do we feel so safe and so comfortable in our paradigms, in our belief systems, that we rather not go there? You know what? If I don't understand it, I'll just let it be what it is, and I won't investigate it anymore. If anything, I'll feel threatened by it if you talk about something I don't understand too much. The red pill and the blue pill. What pill are you going to take? The definition of the word matrix in the dictionary is an environment in which something develops, a surrounding structure. So all of us are born into a matrix of sorts, a cultural matrix that is made up of our family of origin, our religious background, our geographical location, our economic conditions, our political and social environment. That all makes up the the matrix that we are a part of as human beings. And this matrix that we are raised in determines how we see the world and how we operate as human beings. And the dominant messaging of our cultural matrix is that you are not enough. It begins with our parents. They have good intentions, but they push you to be the best you that you can be. And so we start seeking the validation and approval of our parents, and oftentimes we don't get it. And if we don't feel like we're enough for them then we don't feel that we're enough in and of ourselves. Then we start looking towards other people to give us that sense that we are enough. That doesn't work. And it takes a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of suffering until we finally get to a place in life where we validate ourselves. And we begin to say, I am enough in and of myself. But that's a journey some people never get there. Some people never get there. But the dominant messaging of our cultural matrix is that you are not enough. Now, every other living creature on this planet is determined by the environment in which it is raised, except for humans. Human beings are self-determining creatures. So yes, we may be limited somewhat by our environment and our conditions. Yes, we may be hurt and affected by the context in which we have grown up and lived. However, we all have the capacity to grow beyond our environments, to grow beyond our conditions. We all have this ability to decide what our existence is going to be. We get to choose who we are going to become from one moment to the next. And that's an incredibly empowering truth to recognize. It's, it's the red pill. It's the, sh- the shift between being a victim of your circumstance to being a creator of your experience. Each and every one of us are creators of our experience. Yes, you're born into a certain family. You're born into a certain system. You are surrounded by certain people that do things in a particular way. But you do not have to be determined by any of those things. You can be your own individual. You can live into the fullness of your own potential and be a creator of your own experience. And when I read the story of Christ, what I see is a constant invitation on Christ's behalf for us to escape this cultural matrix and live according to a higher reality. And what he called that higher reality was the kingdom of heaven. And he said the kingdom of heaven is within you. So I interpret the kingdom of heaven as a state of consciousness. Once you attain this state of consciousness, you become the creator of your experience. You recognize that I don't have to be limited by my surroundings. I don't have to be limited by my upbringing. I can be my own individual. I can be who God has created me to be. And I can grow beyond and rise above the environments in which I have been set. Look at this passage of scripture in the New Testament. Oh, actually, yeah, this one's good. Victor Frankl, he says, What man becomes within the limits of endowment and environment, he has made out of himself. Isn't that good? What you become within the limits of endowment and environment, you have made out of yourself. Now look at this next scripture. Colossians 1.13 says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So this transference from ignorance to truth, from darkness to light, from the matrix to reality, can be very disillusioning. It can be very disillusioning. For for you to have a certain idea of how the world works and for that idea to be shattered is, is a very difficult thing. Most people don't want to experience that, of course. So, so we just read books that affirm what we believe. We follow people on social media that reiterate what we already think is true. And we don't go outside of our box, because it's very hard to step out of darkness into light. And of course, we all think we, we have the light, too, which is the problem. And we're not willing to learn from other people that are different than us. It's interesting because I was hanging out with somebody yesterday and friend from high school and I asked him about another mutual friend that we have and he's like oh you know actually I don't talk to him anymore I was like oh what what's up you guys are like best friends he's like well you know uh, just politics you know he, my wife is very liberal and we're very liberal and he's super conservative and we just you know we, 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 we don't mesh We just keep rubbing heads. And I said, you know what's so cool about what I do is that I bring people together from both sides of the spectrum and I promote love. (laughs) And I teach people that we can actually still have relationship and love each other even though we see the world in very different ways. And it's actually beneficial to have people around you that see the world differently than you do. It's a very good thing. Even just for the sake of you learning what it means to have empathy, even if you don't ever shift your mindset, even if you don't ever change a belief after having a conversation with someone that sees something differently than you, just by you listening and learning how to be more empathetic and understanding, an encounter with someone that's different than you can be incredibly beneficial. Because you become more loving, more peaceful, more compassionate as a human being. And that's how we build harmony in our world. But again, this process can be very disturbing. I remember for myself, you know, when I started questioning my belief system and the religion that I grew up in, and I started learning things from the world of science and psychology and philosophy and sociology, a lot of things stopped making sense for me. It was hard for me to read the Bible in the same way and understand it with uh, a literal lens. It was hard for me to believe the same things I did about the afterlife with so much certainty. You know, it was, it was difficult for me to continue to see myself in the way that religion had taught me to see myself as I was learning more things about who I am. And I went through an identity crisis because it's really hard. It's really disillusioning to question everything. Another... Uh, moment like that for me was when I realized, my God, this it's like all of our society is so materialistic. You spend so much time achieving and attaining and succeeding, and at the end of it all, you realize it's not fulfilling. But the masses are caught up in this illusion of getting more, attaining more, having more, 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 more. Well, when you realize that that's not what life is about, And maybe you're somebody who, it's like a a quote I read by a guy named Thomas Merton. He says, some people spend their whole life climbing this ladder just to realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. Disillusioning. Disillusioning experience. Look at what it says in the Gospel of Thomas, words attributed to Jesus that talk about this process. He says, the seeker should not stop until he finds. When he does find, he will be disturbed after having been disturbed he will be astonished then he will reign over everything so this kind of describes that process in a nutshell first and foremost is are you courageous enough to seek after the truth and are you willing to follow the truth wherever it may take you your own pursuit of truth whatever that means for you don't stop until you find it and once you find it it will be disturbing because your eyes are going to open up to a reality that you did not know was there the whole time. For a while, I thought, oh my God, all these people in the world of church and religion just lied to me. They, they lied to me. Look at, look at what life actually is outside of this tiny little bubble and box. It was disturbing. And a lot of us find ourselves in that middle ground where we've left the old paradigm, but we still don't know what the new paradigm looks like, and we're just kind of hanging in between We left Egypt. We still haven't gotten to the promised land. We're just wandering in the wilderness. Well, if you learn how to be okay with the discomfort of that, eventually, if you could put that verse back up, eventually that disturbance will lead to an astonishment. Eventually you will begin to see more clearly in a way that you haven't been able to see before. And at that point, You reign over all things. What that means to me is you become empowered as an individual. You become empowered to create your own experience, to make your faith your own, to decide what your life is going to be. You're not just going to do this because that's what this person told you to do or because these people think that's what you should do. You do what you do because it comes from your heart. And so, again, it takes courage. It takes the willingness to question The norms and the beliefs of your family, of your culture, of your religion, not the easiest thing in the world to do. But if you're willing to do it, if you're willing to take the red pill, wow, your eyes can open up to to a whole new way of being in the world. And it will change you for the better. So what I want to focus on today is, again, this notion, this messaging that we get from our cultural matrix that we're not enough. And I want to go through five, five lies of identity that our cultural matrix tries to instill in us, That's, that it's important for us to wake up to. Okay, the first lie of our identity is that I am what I have. This is a big one. A lot of people operate off of this premise that I am what I have. We live in a world and in a culture where we ascertain people's value on the basis of what they possess. And we we shouldn't just skip around that or pretend like it's not true. If people have more, more money, more power, more influence, we treat them differently. It's just what it is. It's the way the world works. And it takes a conscious decision for you to decide, I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm not going to play by those rules anymore. First and foremost, I'm going to understand that my value is inherent. I'm valuable because I'm breathing. I'm valuable because God created me and God loves me. And my value and my worth is not determined by what I have. Because it's really not about what you have. It's about who you are. It's your character that counts. I would much rather have a friend that is a good person and that I know is honest and loyal and truthful and authentic than pretend and be around people that aren't in touch with their true self. And they're just living on the surface of existence. So. You have to make that conscious choice to understand that your value and your worth is inherent to who you are. And once you make that choice for yourself, you begin to see other people in that light, too. Now, I'm not seeing you as better or worse on the basis of what you have or do not have. You see, if you build your identity on material things, guess what? Material things come and go. So that's a shaky foundation on which to build your life and your identity. So the question for all of us to ask ourselves is right here. Are you truly wealthy or do you just have money? Are you truly wealthy or do you just have money? Can anybody think of what makes a person wealthy outside of money? Feel free to just say it. Health, love, wisdom friendship experiences peace, peace legacy. <laughs> legacy all these things are you truly wealthy or do you just have money cuz you can have money and be poor in your spirit and not in the good way that Jesus said you know you're just deficient of the things that actually matter and count in life it's your character that is the most important thing So that's the first lie is that I am what I have. The second cultural lie that people in this matrix believe is that I am what I do. I am what I do. I was speaking to someone yesterday, a friend of mine, who she said that she was one of the top earners in her job and that her job decided to lay off all the top earners, (laughs) I guess because they're trying to save money. (laughs) So all the best people who have been getting the most money because they've been there for the longest time and doing the best work all got let go out of nowhere. So now she doesn't have a job. Now she is relying on her boyfriend to support her, which for her as a very hyper-independent individual is a problem. And she doesn't feel comfortable with that because she's always figured it out on her own. But now that she doesn't have this job, She doesn't really even know who she is. She deals with a lot of fear and anxiety. She's going through so much inner turmoil because deep down inside, her identity is attached to what she does. So you can see how that's a faulty, shaky foundation for us as well. You are so much more than the work that you do. You are so much more than your job. I am what I do is a cultural lie that tells us that our worth is based on our performance. Our value is measured by how much progress we make, how much we can accomplish. And sometimes it's okay not to accomplish anything, (laughs) really. Sometimes it's okay just to be still. Sometimes it's okay to get off of that hamster wheel. and not have to always pursue after something, but to realize my worth is not measured by how much I accomplish or by how much I do. One of the most beautiful parallels that I've heard about the spiritual life is comparing the spiritual life to the life of an actor. Acting is a very spiritual profession. I have some friends that are actors, and that they really have dove into the craft, the art, of acting. It's not just a job or to make money or to be famous. They really care about the craft of acting. And as I get into these conversations, I realize, my goodness, acting is a deeply spiritual thing because the actor has to act as if they really are this role that they're taking on. And in that moment when they're taking on this role, they're playing this role to the best of their ability. However, deep down inside somewhere, even the best actors, deep down inside, they know that's not me. I am not that. And so they give themselves fully and completely to the role. They act as if that is who they are. But there's a knowing that they carry with them that that is who I am not. Who I am is so much more than what I do and the role that I have. It's helpful to navigate life that way, to know, yes, I'm a father or I'm a mother. I'm a police officer. I'm a teacher. I'm a friend. I'm this. I'm that. I do all of these things in the world. I have all of these roles, but deep down inside, that's not the core of my identity. It's not who I actually am. When you live like this and you can create some distance between yourself and your persona, yourself and the roles that you play, you start taking things less personally. Now you're able to look at yourself from a third person perspective. And if somebody has some feedback or criticism about you in a specific role, you're willing to listen to it because your sense of identity isn't attached to that role. So you become more humble, you become more willing to acknowledge your faults because you understand, hey, Danny, for example, for me, Danny, Danny is just a role I'm taking on. Danny is not who I actually am. So if there's some things Danny needs to work on, then Danny will work on it. If there's some things that Danny needs to admit, Danny can admit. And also by Taking this third-person perspective and vantage point, I can be compassionate towards Danny when Danny needs to be compassionate. Instead of saying, oh, my God, Danny's the worst. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I always mess up. I always, you understand how we do it. So you, you create this distance between yourself and your persona. Play your roles fully. Invest yourself completely and totally in what it is that you're doing. But know deep down inside that that's not really who you are. That makes you less defensive. Now, also, you don't have to live your life trying to prove something to other people, which is what happens when you live according to this false identity that I am what I do. I always have to constantly prove myself and assert my value and worth to other people, show you why I matter. That's so exhausting, such a heavy load to carry. The next cultural lie. I am what other people think of me. And by the way, this one is connected to the other two. Because the reason why we find our identity in what we have and we find our identity in what we do is because we care deeply about what other people think about us. And they will think more highly of us if we have more and do more. So that's the way the matrix works. You live your life for everybody else except yourself. I am what other people think of me. Anybody ever fallen for this identity trap? Of course. It took me a really long time as a recovering people pleaser to recognize that people should reject me. People should reject you. If they don't reject you, that means you're not really being yourself. Because if you're truly living according to your authentic self, you will repel some people. Because you are not for everybody. I mean, if some of us in this room were to hang out, some of you may like me as a friend, others of you not. Nah, I just like him on Sunday mornings when he talks, but I don't don't know if I'd be friends with that guy. He's a little weird, you know? I don't know, a little awkward, I don't know. And vice versa, some of y'all too. If I hang out with you, I'd be like, ah they're cool, they're cool. Hey, how you doing? (laughs) We're not meant to get along with every it's a chemistry thing. But just because we don't mesh like that doesn't mean I have to speak down on you or be disrespectful towards you or treat you as if you are lesser than. No. Carl Jung, the psychologist, once said that two personalities coming together is like two chemicals coming together. You don't know what the reaction is going to be. It could be anything. And so how do I know that I'm actually being true to who I am? Because some people have a problem with it. (laughs) If If other people never have a problem with you, if everyone likes you, I promise you, you're probably not fully expressing who you are in the world and that should be a sign to you. It is a good thing when people reject you. And you wanna actually be as as authentic as you can be because that also not only will repel people from you that shouldn't be around you, but it will also attract people towards you that are meant for you. And those are the people that you want in your life. You don't wanna hide and pretend that you're something you're not just to have someone around And then when your true colors finally come out, or you show them a side of you that you've been hiding this whole time, now all of a sudden, they don't want to be with you. That's a difficult thing. Better to just draw the line earlier than later. Hey, this is who I am. This is who I am. And if I'm living according to who I truly am, it's going to attract the right people and it will repel the wrong people. And you want that repelling to actually happen. So be you. You are not what other people think of you. Here's the next lie of identity. I am nothing more than my worst moment. I am nothing more than my worst moment. Guilt. Shame. Guilt can be useful in certain contexts, but wallowing in guilt, always a waste of time. Always a waste of time because guilt cannot change the past. The only thing guilt does is make your present unbearable. You did what you did, and you did what you did out of ignorance. Now you see something that at that time you could not see, which is why you feel guilty. So if you're able to see something now from this vantage point that you weren't able to see back then, for you to wallow in your guilt, is to weaponize your own growth against yourself. You've grown. Because if you weren't growing, you wouldn't think there was a problem with what you did. But you feel that there's an issue with what you've done. That means there's been advancement, and there's been progress. Don't spin that around and attack yourself with it. Instead, learn the lesson that there is for you to learn, and recognize that you are not defined by your low moments. Also, you're a human, so you got to allow yourself to have these mess ups. You have the right to mess up. And just to rewind a little bit to the last one, I am what other people think of me. People have a right not to like you, Okay, I know some of us, we like to put little affirmations in our mirror in the morning. (laughs) I am love, I am light, I am peaceful. Can I tell you another one to put on there? that will be super helpful for your life. Other people have a right not to like me. And if you say that to yourself over and over, you'll become more okay when other people don't like you. And you have a right not to like other people, too. You don't have to be a jerk about it. But other people don't have to like you. I know, and it's hard for me, because I think I'm a likable guy. I think I'm a pretty likable guy. So if somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, What's going on here, bro? Like, what? But I had to keep telling myself, listen, other people have a right not to like you. And you have a right to make mistakes, to fall, to stumble. How else do you learn in life? How else do you learn? So there may be error in something you've done. But there is no error with who you are at your core, okay? So there may be a wrong action that you've participated in according to you and and your standards and metrics of right or wrong. You may have done a wrong action, but that doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you as a person. Does that make sense? Just just because you did something wrong doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. No, there's nothing wrong with you. Just because you're stumbling your way through life doesn't mean anything other than you're a human being. And you are not defined by these moments. You are so much more than anything you've done in any one single moment. Or anything that you feel you repeatedly do that you can't get out of. Because sometimes we get into these habits and we feel so bad about the fact that we are under the grip of this habit, whatever it is. You know, and the first thing is accepting the fact that there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. Every, every human being is addicted. It's like our nature. We're, we're addicted to something. If it's not this, it's that. How many hours you spent on your phone this week? <laughs> every time that number comes up on Sunday morning, I'm like, oh, Lord. <laughs> it's hard, Right? So there's there's nothing wrong with you. It's important to, to just let that sit. You know, sit with that. And then the last cultural lie. I am nothing less than my best moment. I am nothing less than my best moment. Arrogance. Look at this proverb. It says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Okay, when you're proud and you overestimate yourself and you're arrogant, you're blinded to who you really are. You're believing a lie. And arrogance is really just a cover-up for insecurity. So the more people try and portray themselves as being better and bigger than others, the smaller they actually feel in comparison to others. I love this quote from an Islamic scholar that I got to meet years ago. He says, perhaps a sin that humbles you is better than a good deed that makes you arrogant. Isn't that good? So it's like, maybe better for you to mess up and fail and learn some humility than succeed all the time and think that you're a hotshot when in reality you put your pants on just like everybody else. You go to the bathroom just like everybody else. You're normal. You're normal. (laughs) We're all normal. Right, We never get to a, a stage when we're not normal. <laughs> so these are the, the five lies of identity. And, and to bring this all together, I want to uh, bring up this story of Jesus in the wilderness. Okay, in, in the Gospels, there's a story about Jesus being tempted by the devil. Jesus has been in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. And we can put up these verses. And the devil goes straight for his identity. He says, if you are the son of God, notice that he's questioning his identity. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. If you are the son of God, right, I I'll take you to this very high mountain, show you the world. I'll give all of this to you if you'll bow down and worship me. So when Jesus is confronted with this temptation to turn stones into bread, that's the temptation, the temptation of finding your identity in what you do, in how you, you perform, right? Do this miracle. Do this wonderful miracle. Find your identity in what you do and what you perform. When the devil tells him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down and command the angels to rescue you. And everyone will applaud you. Everyone will think you're the best for doing this incredible miracle. This is the temptation of finding your identity in what other people think about you. And then last but not least, when the devil says, look at all this, all the kingdoms of the world. If you bow down and worship me, all of this will be yours. This is the temptation to find your identity in what you have. And in each of these instances, when Jesus was faced with, this tem- with, with these temptations, he stood firm on his identity as a child of God. Because prior to this, when Jesus was baptized, if you'll remember, there's this beautiful depiction of the heavens opening up and God speaking from the clouds and saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And that was before Jesus ever even started anything in terms of his public ministry. He didn't do a miracle. He didn't teach anybody anything up to that point. And God already affirmed his belovedness in his sight, and it had nothing to do with what he has, what he did, or what other people thought about him. And so the way that you and I escape the cultural matrix and rise above these lies of identity is by understanding that our true identity is son and daughter of God. Our true identity is one who is loved by God. When you really live in that identity, and that's where you find your your sense of groundedness, when you live from your center like that, and you know, I am loved by God, you don't need to search for value and worth outside of you anymore. I don't need to search for it in my possessions. I don't need to search for it in my accomplishments. I don't need to search for it in the things that other people say or think about me. I don't need to search for it in my performance. I'm loved by God. And because of that, I have value, I have worth, and I matter. One last quote from Brennan Manning. He wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, which is pretty cool. He says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. And the sooner those illusions crumble, the better. Some of us are lost in the illusion of the materialistic world in which we live. We're lost in the illusion of our false identities, and those illusions need to crumble so that you can finally come to define yourself radically as one who is beloved by God. That is your true self, and when you live in the truth of who you are as one who is loved by God, now you're able to see the truth of who others are, and you treat them accordingly. I see value in you, not because of what you have, but because of who you are in God. Because that's how I see the value in me. I'm loved by God completely and totally. Every other identity is a false identity that will let you down. The one true identity is you're loved, you're forgiven, you're embraced, you belong, you matter. How simple and how true. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for calling us your beloved. Help us today to wake up from the lies that we have believed and to embrace our true identity as your children. In you, we find our security, not in our performance, not in what other people think about us, not in what we may possess, but in who we are in you. God, as our illusions about life and the world begin to shatter, and sometimes we feel disturbed as a result of that, I pray that you would help us and sustain us and give us a new vision of what our life can be like. May we have the courage to face unsettling truths and the willingness to question the norms and beliefs that have limited us for so long. We look to you and we thank you for giving us our identity. We trust in you and we are so grateful for your love. Amen. 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 Okay. Thank you guys for being here. Appreciate you tremendously. Have a great rest of the week and we'll catch you soon at La Mesa if you're coming.